Hi, friends. This is Pastor Dan Jackson. Thank you for listening to this sermon from Jacobswell Church. My hope and prayer is that this message will be a blessing to you and lead you into worshiping and enjoying our great and gracious God. With that said, let me encourage you to use this message as a supplement to and not a replacement of a local church. Christ did not establish his church simply for us to consume messages, but so that we could be intimately invested in each other's lives as an authentic covenant community. Again, thank you for listening. And if you want more information about Jacobswell Church, please visit our website at www.jacobswellgb.org. Back in, if you would, as we begin to get rolling on preaching of God's Word. All right. I was telling Rondley, my wife, the other night that I, I borrow an illustration in this sermon that I normally use in weddings. So I have to apologize up front that if you've been to a wedding I've officiated, you've heard one of the illustrations before. Uh, and she went on to say that, well, for those who haven't been to one of your weddings, um, if you like the illustration, give me a call. Uh, so our passage today is Mark chapter 10, verses 1 through 12. And uh, as you turn there, a brief heads up, uh, today's text talks about divorce. So some gentle precursory questions you may want to ask yourself. If today's passage makes me uncomfortable, are there areas of my life that maybe have false guilt? If it makes me uncomfortable, are there areas of my life that need to receive forgiveness? Are there areas that I am ignoring or denying guilt? If I have ever considered divorce, am I a bad person? Let's dive in now to Mark chapter 10, verses 1 through 12, to work through some of these questions. Hear now God's word. And he, Jesus, left there and went to the region of Judea beyond the Jordan, and crowds gathered to him again. And again, as was his custom, he taught them. And Pharisees came up and, in order to test him, asked, Is it lawful for a man to divorce his wife? He answered them, What did Moses command you? They said, Moses allowed a man to write a certificate of divorce and send her away. And Jesus said to them, Because of your hardness of heart, he wrote you this commandment. But from the beginning of creation, God made them male and female. Therefore, a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. So they are no longer two, but one flesh. What therefore God has joined together, let not man separate. And in the house, the disciples asked him again about this matter. And he said to them, whoever divorces his wife and marries another commits adultery against her. And if she divorces her husband and marries another, she commits adultery. Let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, we ask that we might approach this word, this scripture, with hearts desiring to understand, Lord, that our flesh not, might, might not raise immediately defenses to say, no, it, it's, it's not this way, it's that way, but Lord, may we humbly consider what your word would say to us this day, that we might 
receive your grace, forgiveness, and follow you, Lord, with refreshed hearts, renewed to, to know that what you have given to us is for our good, God. We pray this in your name. Amen. So in preparation for today's passage, I did a small bit of research. Well, more than a small bit. But one of the things I did for research was I googled, when is it okay to divorce? And this is the third link I clicked on said the following, when it's okay to divorce. I'll just go through the list here. Marriage may give you a sense of security, but divorce gives you a new lease on life. Being a single parent is better than modeling an unhealthy relationship. Divorce clears the way for you to meet the right partner. You get to focus on you for once. Divorce isn't the worst thing that can happen to your kids, and during a hostile home life is. There's a big difference between loneliness and solitude. You and your partner may be stifling each other's growth. A happier parent is a better parent. You can devote your energy to other important areas of your life. You deserve a partner who's just as invested in the relationship as you are. You lose a spouse, but you gain happiness. So, let me say up front that some of these, of these 11 things that I've listed, some of them are not inherently bad. Pursuing, of course, happiness is a good thing. But in the context of divorce, some of these things might, inherently, might, might be bad. But you might notice a few trends in there, and I'll, I'll point out a few. Three of these answers see children as a, factor, uh, as a factor for divorce. Five of these answers are related to self-actualization and self-fulfillment. Two of the answers touch on finding someone who is a better fit for you. And none of these answers refer back to the vows that were made and possibly broken and none of them mention the other spouse. Which answer resonates most with you? When is it lawful to divorce? This question leads us to the issue of today's passage. Like Jesus' culture, when he spoke, our culture, our own thoughts today, press in upon us on what divorce should look like in a way that often brings harm and pain to ourselves or to others. And in facing these challenges, we recognize that because God created us in union, we must not consider divorce a right, and we must not consider divorce an original plan. First, we must not consider divorce a right. Let's read verses 2 through 5 again. And the Pharisees came up, and in order to test him, asked, is it lawful for a man to divorce his wife? He answered them, What did Moses command you? They said, Moses allowed a man to write a certificate of divorce and send, to send her away. And Jesus said to them, Because of your hardness of heart, he wrote you this commandment. So is it lawful for a man to divorce his wife? We have the initial question. We've already mentioned a few answers a culture might give. But to understand Jesus' answer to the Pharisees, it's helpful for us to first understand the Pharisees' question. Okay? First, notice in verse 2 that this question is meant to be a test and a trap. So Judaism, Judaism back then 
like Christianity today, had two camps of interpretation, a conservative interpretation and a liberal interpretation. And they both had different takes on what Moses said in Deuteronomy chapter 24, verse 1, which is what is quoted in this passage. In Deuteronomy 24, verse 1 says, When a man takes a wife and marries her, if then she finds no favor in his eyes because he has found some indecency in her and writes her a certificate of divorce, dot, dot, dot. So the, the, the sentence continues there, but we'll pause here. The difference of interpretation in the, Judaism, in the Judaism communities revolves around that phrase, because he has found some indecency in her. So what counts as indecency allowing a husband to divorce a wife? Here are some actual quotes and practices during this time period. The school of Shammai says, a man may not divorce his wife unless he has found some unchastity in her. The school of Hillel says, he may divorce her even if she spoiled a dish for him. Rabbi Akiba says, he may divorce her even if he found another fairer than she. So in that day, in the Jewish community, in the two different camps of liberal and conservative, divorce was either very, very easy or was only permitted in circumstances of adultery. So the trap is, no matter how Jesus responds, he will either turn the conservative camp against him or the liberal camp against him. And with the liberal camp also comes Herod, who divorced his wife and married his brother's sister-in-law. And, and John the Baptist spoke out against that, and that got John killed. So they see this maybe as a way to get rid of Jesus. So is it lawful to divorce his wife, they ask. After all, Moses did allow a man to write a certificate of divorce and send her away. So Jesus doesn't respond by talking about difference of interpretation how they would expect. He responds to the motive of what was written and why it was written. He does something that only God can do because only God understands the motive for why God's law was written when it was written. Because of your hardness of heart, God had Moses write you this commandment. Now Jesus is not saying that everyone who gets a divorce or has gotten a divorce has a hardened heart, unwilling to love and serve the Lord or their spouse. But what it does mean is that mankind is stubborn and sinful. Man is to love God with their whole heart, but instead they can harden their hearts against the Lord, leading to unforgiveness in marriage or to the destruction of marriage through sexual immorality and abandonment. And Jesus mentions sexual immorality as an acceptable reason for divorce in Matthew chapter 19, a parallel passage of our passage today. And Paul affirms this and clarifies it with abandonment in 1 Corinthians 7. So you'll notice these two options for divorce, sexual immorality and abandonment, are not present in our account today. Verses 10 through 12 of our passage would even seem like a denial of any option of divorce. While they are present in other passages, Jesus not mentioning them here is not saying divorce is never an option, but it is rather an affirmation of the incredible importance of the bond of marital fidelity. Jesus' point is this. While there are permissible reasons for divorce, divorce is not a right, it is an option. 
It is never a standard practice for marriage. It exists because of sin, is what Jesus is saying. One commentator put it well this way. You do not learn to fly an airplane by following the instructions for a crash landing. You will not be successful in war if you train by the rules for beating a retreat. The same is true of marriage and divorce. The exceptional measures necessary when a marriage fails are of no help in discovering the meaning and intention of marriage. Jesus endeavors to recover God's will for marriage, not to argue about possible exceptions to it. We'll, we'll, we'll finish the quote there. Jesus' opponents craft divorce as a right to be pursued, as a part, as a, as a part of what marriage looks like. But that twists the intention of marriage. Divorce is not a right to be pursued, but rather an optional response to the hard-heartedness of mankind. Probably one of my wife's and my absolute favorite places to eat out is Culver's. I will uh, not shamefully confess to you that we ate there twice this week. Uh, We have such a solid system too, and this is why we can eat there twice in a week. we both get kids, and also our kids aren't old enough to have to yet get them their own meal yet. So it's really, anyways. But we both get kids' meal, my wife and I. Each kid's meal costs $6.79. But we get, with that meal comes a cheeseburger, the, nor- the size of a normal adult cheeseburger, a side of fries, and a soda with three refills. And on top of that, it comes with a free ice cream scoop of one topping, all for $6.79. The ice cream scoop alone is like a $2 value. Come on. So much goodness for only $6.79. We just love it that much. We really do. But sometimes, sometimes the topping on the ice cream uh, on that one free scoop can be disappointing. Well, first off, it's a little, little pea-sized scoop, right, sometimes. Or if you ask for Reese's, I'm a big fan of Reese's. If you ask for Reese's topping, sometimes they only give you like the chocolate edges with no peanut butter. And it's like you're just getting like this hard chocolate. And the chocolate on Reese's isn't the best anyways. Anyways, all that to say, it's uh, to solve this issue, uh, I, would, I would, back in the day, I used to do this more, I found it helpful to lay on a bit of what my wife used to call the David charm. Walk up to the counter. How's, your, how, how's it going? How's your day going? Man, not, not very busy. Do you like it like, that way? Well, it's, it's, I'm, glad, I'm glad you get some downtime, but I hope it picks up because I can tell you just feel slow. Makes the day go by slowly, right? Man. But wait, my wife and I just had a great meal. We loved it. And it just the cherry on top, that would be a scoop of delicious vanilla custard. You guys know it's good. And, uh, and a dollop of whipped cream. That would just hit the spot. Can you do that for me? Here's, here's my Scooby tokens. Thank you. So here's the problem with that approach to asking for ice cream to try to get more whipped cream or better Reese's. I'm just using what I should normally be doing, loving those in my life whom God has placed right in front of me, only what it gives me what I want. I am kind and smiley only when I literally get extra whip topping. This is not what God had tended when he commanded for me to love my neighbor. Smiles and kindness is not designed for extra whip topping. Divorce is not designed to escape a marriage. But we can use both of these things to wrongfully gain. It is not a means of escape, but rather an option when a marriage has been torn asunder, either by sexual immorality or abandonment. You may be sitting here considering a divorce for these reasons. If so, I am so 
so sorry for the pain and suffering that you are going through. I cannot imagine experiencing what you are facing or have faced. Please feel free to come to talk to me, to an elder, to, so that someone can come alongside to love and serve you and your family. Even in these circumstances, divorce may be permissible, but it, it's not always necessary. Sin brings pain. And please do not please do not hear this passage dismissing or ignoring that pain at all. But should you be pursuing a divorce, please hear what the text does say with humility to not consider that divorce a right, but an option available in trying circumstances. Divorce is messy. Sexual immorality and abandonment is complex. It never looks cut and dry. It could take on a few different forms. But it begins with a conversation. Well, healing and working through it begins with a conversation. Please know that when an elder or pastor at Jacob's Well hears the words divorce leave your lips, you won't be banished from the church. You won't be shamed for ever having thought it, even if you thought it for reasons other than sexual immorality or abandonment. Rather, you will be heard, loved, and cared for in your hardship. Should the thought of divorce keep on coming, I encourage you to not wait to talk about it. People tend to wait far too long to seek counsel when considering divorce. And by that time, they are so dead set on it that there's little that can be done. Finally, if you are sitting here and have been divorced in the past, whether through biblical or unbiblical means, please do not hear only condemnation for your past. There's a God who rescues us, not just from hell, but from the chains of guilt and shame and who heals both pain that you have caused and pain that has been caused against you. May we all humbly confess in this room that none of us here today are untouched by this, whether directly or indirectly, through family or friend. If you are hurting from another's divorce in your family, Jesus knows your pain, having a father who left him at the cross. May we consider divorce not as a right, but as an option and a consequence of sin. Not only must we not consider divorce a right, we must not consider it an original plan. Let's read one more time verses 5 through 9. Jesus said to them, Because of your hardness of heart, Moses wrote you this commandment. But from the beginning of creation, God made them male and female. Therefore, a man shall leave his father and his mother and hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. So they are no longer two, but one flesh. What therefore God has joined together, let not man separate. So it's interesting in a passage on divorce that Jesus would talk so much about marriage. But this indicates this should, this should clue us in a small bit to one reason why humanity might pursue divorce improperly is not because divorce is misunderstood, but because marriage is misunderstood. In his explanation, Jesus goes back to marriage in creation. God designed and created male and female in this way. In leaving their father and mother and and in marrying, the two become one flesh. It is a union. It's the original plan. God has joined them together. 
So it is, it's important here to recognize the significance of these statements. So significant. And we'll, we'll, we'll continue on here. Marriage is not simply a human construct. There's more going on in a wedding ceremony than a human disagreement, or excuse me, than a human agreement. A literal union is being formed, not just by two people, but by three. It is a relationship that he is present in and establishes. God does something unique in marriage that is different from any other relationship. One flesh here in our passage does include sexual expression, but it is more than that. Husband and wife leave father and mother and have new loyalties first and foremost to each other. It was planned specifically and beautifully from creation. God's intention in marriage from creation was that it be a permanent bond unique from any other enacted by physical intimacy. Is it lawful to divorce for a man to divorce his wife, for a wife to divorce her husband? As an option, not as a right. But Jesus also says, what God has joined together, let not man separate. It was not an original plan. There's a lot of hope in this design. We'll get to that in a moment. If you ever attended a wedding I've done, I apologize, here's the illustration you've heard before. Pop artist Auburn wrote the following lyrics in her song, Perfect Two. You, I, I smile, I pause because I think back to, my wife and I uh, loved this song back when we were dating and even got, when we got married back in the day. Um, so, you can be the peanut butter to my jelly. You can be the butterflies I feel in my belly. You can be the captain, I can be your first mate. You can be the chills that I feel on our first date. You can be the hero and I can be your sidekick. You can be the rain from the cloud when it's storming, or you can be the sun when it shines in the morning. Because you're the one for me, and I'm the one for you. And you take the both of us, and we're the perfect two. We're the perfect two, we're the perfect two, baby, me and you, we're the perfect two. At first glance, it feels like these lyrics are meant for young couples like David and Rondley when we were dating. Young couples blindly in love who don't know any better. We are the perfect two. Over-the-top, Americanized romance, self-fulfilling, all about me, love. But these lyrics illustrate well what happened in creation and in all the marriages that follow after. In the very first marriage God made, Adam may not have said, you're the apple to my pie, you're the straw to my berry, when he first saw Eve. But he did write poetry on the spot and say, this at last is bone of my bone and flesh of my flesh. Auburn may, may sound a bit too dreamy, but she was right. God is joining marriages together in a way that is perfect and cannot be fully understood. You may be sitting here getting ready to walk out. Your marriage looks or feels nothing like this picture-perfect dream as it was designed. And now you're being reminded that it is until death do you part. Please know with all earnestness, I want you to have hope. Because you were, des you were designed for marriage and love like this. Divorce may seem like an answer, but Jesus' command, Jesus command is to remind us that you were created from the beginning for something more beautiful and more lasting, a union that God has established 
one where he is present, one that expresses loyalties first and foremost to each other above any relationship. Others of you may have a hardened heart and maybe feel closed to what this text has to say. Years of frustration, disagreements, and coldness have made these dreamy statements sound insulting, maybe even offensive. I exhort you to not lose sight of the hope that it can change. To not lose sight of the image before you of what marriage was meant to be, what your marriage was meant to be. When, that when you got married, God's plan and design for you to live in union for life was no different than when he created Adam and Eve. You may be sitting here as a single person with no prospects in sight. While this passage can certainly help you as you love others in struggling marriages and divorces, please know that Jesus actually touches on how challenging a single life can be in the parallel passage on divorce in Matthew 19. Some in our culture may promote the single life as living the dream, but few are called to it because of the challenges that it has. And Jesus recognizes those challenges and how hard it is. To the singles who maybe do have prospects or are pursuing marriage, see its beauty. See its beautiful design wired within you, but heed the high calling. To the widow, you two face unique challenges that few can understand. But how significant your role what a, an amazing opportunity you have to speak into those around you. Your unique experience enables you to pour into marriages that man may not separate them. I've said it once, I'll say it again. Much of what has been read and explained in this text may sound unfair, short-sighted, not understanding or unreasonable. But let's go back to creation one more time. Jesus went to God's creation for God's original plan to explain marriage. But God's original plan wasn't just for a man and for a woman to be together for all eternity. It was so, so much more than that. God's original plan was for God and his creation to be together. God walked in the garden, was with Adam and Eve. They were together. But mankind... God's bride rebelled against God. They sought after idols. They committed adultery. But this, is this not the testimony of Scripture that again and again and again, Israel, the church, the bride of Christ, runs away from her husband, God? But we can hardly look to that testimony without seeing time and time again the Lord pursue we have some verses we'll go through. Hear how these verses, that it is God who is the one pursuing, that it is God who is doing the agency. He bridges that gap. He does this. Ezekiel 11. And I will give them one heart and a new spirit I will put within them. I'll remove the heart of stone from their flesh and give them a heart of flesh, that they may walk in my statutes and keep my rules and obey them, and they shall be my people, and I will be their God. Jeremiah 31, my covenant that they broke, that I was their husband, declares the Lord. For this is the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel after those days, declare the Lord. I will put my law within them, I will write it on their hearts, and I will be their God, and they shall be my people. 
2 Corinthians 6, I will make my dwelling among them and walk among them, and I will be their God, and they shall be my people. Zechariah 8, I will, bring, I will bring them to dwell in the midst of Jerusalem, and they shall be my people, and I will be their God in faithfulness and righteousness. And church, the last two chapters of Scripture in Revelation end with this as one of those promises. Revelation 21, and I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them, and they will be his people, and God himself will be with them as their God. Church, God's calling to faithfulness, to the very vows that we've made ourselves, may sound unreasonable. But he has bound himself and remained faithfully to us, infinitely more to a people who have betrayed every vow that we have held before him. God has joined together what man cannot separate. I'm going to say that again. God has joined together what man cannot separate. He died for his church, for his bride, and he will not give her up. Man has fled him. But Jesus Christ declares through the cross and through the empty tomb to all who believe in him, what therefore God has joined together, let not man separate him and his church. Romans 8 says, For I am sure that neither death nor life, nor angels nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all of creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus, our Lord. To close, C.S. Lewis aptly wrote about love and marriage in the following. The state called being in love usually does not last. If the fairy if the old fairy tale ending, they lived happily ever after, is meant to mean they felt for the next 50 years exactly as they felt the day before they were married, then it says what probably was never, then it says what probably never was nor ever would be true and would be highly undesirable if it were. But of course, ceasing to be in love need not mean ceasing to love. Love in the second sense, love as being distinct, being in love, is not merely a feeling. It is a deep unity maintained by the will and deliberately strengthened by habit, reinforced by, in Christian marriages, the grace which both partners ask and receive from God. They can have this love for each other, even at those moments when they do not like each other, just as you love yourself even when you do not like yourself. They can retain this love even when each would easily, if they allowed themselves, to be in love with someone else. Being in love first moved them to promise fidelity. This quieter love enables them to keep the promise. It is on this love that the engine of marriage is run. Being in love was the explosion that started it. Jacob's well, please make no mistake. God is in love with you. He has bound himself to a people and he is not letting you go. What God has joined together, him and his church, let not man separate. There are appropriate times for a divorce. But it is an option, not a right. And it wasn't part of God's original plan. 
And it will never be a part of his, his relationship with us. Praise God. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for scripture. Lord, we ask and pray that this passage might not take life from us, but give life. Lord, it is able, and it is for this very thing that it was designed. That we might be made more whole, more complete. That we might have the hope, this hope set before us, Lord, just as we have the hope set before us of a God who will never leave and forsake us, that you set before us a hope of how beautiful you designed marriage to be from creation. Help us, Lord. We all have doubts. Lord, it is foolish for any of us to say who are married, Lord, that we have not been wrestling and battling the difficulties that marriage brings us. But God, we thank you that you are in and through it, that you do not leave or forsake our marriages, that you are in this union having been there with the vows. Bless us now as we are fed further as we partake in communion, Lord, are reminded of the, of the blood that was shed for us, of the body that was given for us. May it be a reminder, Lord, of your fidelity and love and affection for us. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen.